motivated? Get educated. Get growing your property empire with the How To Property Podcast with your host, Ryan Luke. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the How To Property Podcast. And today I have my good friend Bill Faith from over in over the pond, over in the US. And uh, it is 5.30 in the morning where you are right now. 5.30. A little early for a podcast, but anything for you, Ryan. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Bill is joining us uh, very early in the morning. I get up at 5.30 most days, so uh, that's kind of my, my normal routine. Is that normal for you, or have you just got up specifically? I typically get up between 4.30, 5 o'clock, roughly. Uh, don't set an alarm, kind of get into my morning routine. But I will tell you, this is the earliest I've ever done an interview or a podcast. So I've been loading up on caffeine for about the last 45 minutes. <laughs> Fair enough. And has that been, um, you know, has that been something that you've done for, for many years, the, the early start? Um, I have. So I played professional golf in my younger days and, you know, a lot of 7 a.m. tee times and stuff like that. So back then when I was in good shape, you'd get up at four o'clock, you'd get some breakfast, work out for 45 minutes to an hour. Then you would practice and you would go, you know, play a practice round or pro-am or actually be in the tournament. So Kind of something that was instilled just through uh, golf, and it's just stuck with me through the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I used to be a semi-pro golfer back in the day. I tried to uh, I tried to go down that route when I left school, eighteen, nineteen. So um, I was meant to go. I was meant to go to college in the states, but um, didn't. And um, I decided to stay here. And and you know the, the journey takes where it journey takes you. I went down to South Africa, played down there for a while. Um, yeah. You know, it was it was great. I loved it. I loved it. What um, what do you find? Oh, let's start with your golfing journey. So, how how long did that play out for? What sort of, what sort of standard did you get to? Any major wins? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I so I finished third in the junior world championships, and uh, you know, grew up playing with Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson in Southern California here in the states, and. Um, went to UCLA on a full ride and was a first team all American in 1991 and dropped out and turned professional. And, um, you know, it was a tough road back then. There wasn't much money to be made prior to Tiger Woods winning the masters in 1997, which changed everything, uh, in the purses. So, I mean, I played everywhere from the original Hogan tour to the South American tour. I qualified to get into the Asian tour, uh, played in, Many PGA Tour events, but I had to Monday qualify or get a sponsor's exemption. Um, I never made it all the way through Q School to become fully exempt. Uh, was on the Buy.com, Nike Tour, uh, that type of stuff. But uh, back then, prior to 1997, it was difficult. So I won twice internationally uh, in 1994, and you still couldn't make any money. I mean, you were making 10, 15, 20 grand uh, for winning a tournament where now, you know, you play in these Asian tours, South American tours, you might make 10 or 20 grand by finishing 10th or 12th. Uh, the purses, Tiger just changed everything. So it was tough. I loved it. Um, I would say I had a semi-successful career, but I met my wife um, and that kind of changed everything. Literally within nine months of meeting my wife, I literally quit playing professional golf and went on to this entrepreneurial journey uh, and started really my third business, but my first real business. And what I found, and I still have friends, and you you probably do too, Ryan, that are still, and I'm going to be 48 next week, that are still out there grinding you know, on many tours and, and they love the game and they're passionate about it, that they're living in motor homes and, yeah. you know, motel sixes, but they just want to grind and play. And that wasn't the life uh, that I wanted. And, and I learned, I think, relatively quickly that I could have my moderate success, 
but I wasn't going to be the guys that I grew up with. I wasn't going to be Phil Mickelson, David Duvall, Tiger Woods. So that's why I decided to just go down a different path. Yeah, I think I um I was very similar. I because in those days we kind of had a season, and then in the winters you just didn't play golf. There was no winter seasons. Whereas now it's a full twelve month schedule. So right. uh, in the winter season, I went and got a sales job, and I started selling and making like four or five thousand a month. And I was like, well, this is a bit easier than grinding out on the golf course all the time. So I, uh, you know, you you can empathize. I mean, people don't, under, in my opinion, and you'd probably agree, it's the toughest professional sport. Yeah. to make it into and it's really the only one that if you don't perform every single week you don't make any money yeah yeah i mean you've got 130 200 spots available on monday uh you either you get what there's three or four people may make it in the main event competing for those then right. you know it's um yeah it's tough i think one thing though is the commitment the consistency the practice Everything that goes with it, the fitness, the nutrition, you know, the mindset, that definitely leads you into this business, right? And that not so I, I think that you hit the nail on the head. You know, if if people look at my bio, they see that I've done 25, 26 startups. I've built a couple of $50 million plus companies. You know, all that's great. But at the end of the day, I'll tell you, as, as a kid that grew up with no father, I got introduced to golf in the Big Brother program. I don't know if you guys have that over the pond or not. And it's literally a guy that took me under his wing through a program. And he's the one that took me to the driving range and taught me how to play golf. As an athlete growing up, I, I excelled in baseball and basketball and other things, but I had a coach to push me. And the one thing that I didn't have in golf was a coach. It's all self-discipline. And I learned that from my mother and this, my big brother um, that kind of taught me that I had to commit to practice. I had to commit to working on the right things. And there's nobody that's going to make you do it in this sport. And I'll tell you, that's probably the one thing, the self-drive, the the physical discipline, the mental discipline, the practice that's transcended through my entire life. And now I'm passing it on to my two young daughters. And I think there's a lot of association with me between success and adult life and business and, you know, kind of the going through the athletic, uh, you know, kind of upbringing, if you will. And it's funny, I became a coach. I became a college golf coach. And man, right, my players hated me. You know, the first, I was like the Bobby Knight, you know, the hardcore guy. I, I make golfers run and work out and do all the shit that we saw Tiger Woods do when he transformed uh, the sport even before that. Um, and they hated me for it. But I'll tell you, every one of them is, well, 90% of them turn out to be successful in their adult life. And I kind of go back and I thank the people that helped me along the way to get me to understand about that self-discipline. And I think it's applicable in this business because, <clears throat> excuse me, the hosting that I see when I travel as a guest and the people that I mentor and I coach, man, average is not very good in this industry. And if you can just elevate a little bit, um, it's really easy to stand out. But you got to want to put in that work and you got to be self-disciplined. Yeah. And I think it's it's like everyone sees the victories and, you know, the, the trophies and stuff, same in golf and, and everyone can kind of see that with, you know, the units and the, the money and all that, but no one actually sees the, the practice range and, you know, how many golf balls you're teeing up and how many hours you spend on the chip and green and the business life is exactly the same. You know, for me, it's, it's those hours that we've ground out, you know, the 5am starts, the, you know, the, the 4am starts and just being shown up consistently daily. And I think a lot of people they don't see that, and then when they're not getting the results, they wonder why, and it's probably because they're not putting those hard yards in. So I know, because I was a national swimmer as a young kid as well, so i kind of been in 
that sort of high-level um, athletic forum for, for probably since I was seven-year-old. And I do quite often, you know, look back and say there are so many traits that we were drilled into us at that age and then going into the sort of professional golf side of things would show up in business every day or show up in successful businesses every day. And, um, you know, it's, it's great to hear your story. You know, I think we could probably talk golf all day long. Well, right. I don't play now. I, I, I stopped playing. So um, I just got so I played for three and a half years, not one time. I mean, I've been all in on my SDR journey for, you know, four years, like literally all in and stopped a lot of my other businesses to do this. But I think you mentioned something that's, that's really important. And I think that you and I, most people, like when they get into playing golf and they want to become good and they want to excel, they don't understand the time commitment involved. And I think it's a very similar thing in the short-term rental space. A lot of people think that they can go arbitrage a unit, they can buy a luxury property, whatever it is, listed on Airbnb and VRBO, you know, booking.com, whatever, and they're done. And they and it's passive. And that passive income is something that I'm kind of on a mission that if you want to make real freaking money in this business, it's not a passive business. You can automate and you can automate 90% of your processes uh, with technology, but it's something that even myself and, and, you know, I've got a pretty large portfolio that I own and I do generate a lot of revenue in my portfolio that I own. And then I manage now as well, but man, it's blocking and tackling with this thing every single day. And I think that's one of the, the keys to success, to the optimization, to the marketing to the social media, that type of stuff, that there's this misnomer that you can kind of just set it and forget it in this business and that it's passive income. Yeah, I think um, that has become more apparent in the last 12 to 14 months with COVID. Because I think prior to COVID, you probably could get away to an extent being average and just listening on Airbnb, you know, but I think the game has changed somewhat. And I think if you want to be in it, you know, if you want to create that sustainable business, which is the key, you know, then then you've got to, as you say, level your game up and you've got to treat it like a business and not just a hobby. Now, I know you work on a total different model to what I've got. You know, I know you're shrinking units, but, you know, you do incredibly well out of them. Uh, you, you're not a massive, uh, you, in terms of the portfolio of size, I might think you go for these big luxury um, sort of experiences. Do you want to just shed a bit of light on that for the for the listeners in the audience? Yeah. So, I mean, I look at there's really three buckets of why people get into this business, right? They've either <clears throat> they bought a vacation home and then they decide, oh, my gosh, I need to figure out how to pay the mortgage or the utilities or whatever. And then bucket number two is like, hey, I want to invest into this business. I hear about how great Airbnb and short term rental is. And I want like a percentage for my family to be able to travel and use it as a vacation property. And then we're going to try to turn it into a profit center. And then the third one. Uh, is really where, where most of the people fall, like even where we met on Clubhouse, um, it's strictly investment, right? And I think number one is people have to determine what bucket they go into. So for me, I started in bucket number two. You know, I wanted I wanted a beach house, but I also, I'm a financially driven individual. Um, I w- didn't want to pay for it. So I kind of set a goal for myself that I used a lot, a lot of money, $172,000 for that first down payment um, for that 50% family beach home and also investment. And what I learned prior to getting into that very first property is that if I do this well and I create a business plan and I buy right, and then I can really optimize my profit and like you said, level my game up. Um, and I built a case study on this first property, did $55,000 in revenue 
with a management company the year before I purchased it. Like did 98,000 in my first year by adding amenities, doing off OTA marketing. And at that time I was just on Airbnb. I didn't even use VRBO um, at the time. So then what I wanted to do is leverage that initial investment and never have to make another down payment. Because when you're buying properties, the biggest struggle is, is how much cash do you have to continue to scale your business? And that's why a lot of people go into hosting or management or into arbitrage because it's an easier barrier to entry. Um, I kind of went backwards, right? So now I'm doing co-hosting and management uh, with luxury properties, but I started with that one property. Um, I own nine today. Um, And what I will tell you is because of paying very close attention to the financial component of this business and the credit component and the tax component that I've never had to put in another dollar, not one dollar. I've leveraged that $172,000, the single biggest, not the same, at the time, probably the second biggest check I'd ever written for an investment. And I looked at it as starting a new business. And I rolled that into property two, and then I took cash flow, and I saved my retained earnings. So I pay my business first. And that's something that I think a lot of people miss, um, you know, when they're running a business. That very first property, it wasn't I'm taking the profits. I'm reinvesting into knowing that I'm going to invest in the property number two, once I have enough retained earnings saved. So the goal for me was I need, okay, I need another $100,000 so I can buy a half a million dollar property, put 20% down, right? So when I made $98,000 and that's, and the one thing that I think we need to do as educators is understand when I'm talking about revenue and short-term rental, it does not include taxes. It does not include uh, Airbnb, VRBO, the OTA fees at all. It does not include cleaning fees. So the real gross number that everybody talks about to inflate their numbers was around 120, 122. But $98,000 was my payout excluding cleaning fees that I'm going to keep. And I had no direct bookings at that time, right? So I was working on about a 45% delta. So about $42,000 I made in net income off of that property. And I put 100% of that into an investment account because I didn't need it to live off of. Right. So I paid my mortgage, paid my cleaners out of that 98,000, my maintenance, all that utilities, Internet. And then I saved the rest of it. And it took me two years to build up enough cash. And then I could leverage that cash to buy my second property. And then now I've got two properties. I'm doing the same thing. Property ones, I'm saving here. Property two, I'm saving over here to keep it simple. Combine those funds. And within like seven months, boom, there goes the third property. Right. So I think if you invest soundly and you really take a business mindset and you have, as I talk about a lot, an intimate relationship with the finances, P&Ls, cash flow, and also within the taxes is a huge deal. And this is globally, this isn't just in the States, to understand the tax benefits that you can take advantage of, then you're setting yourself up to be able to invest. But like I said earlier, I've come full circle and really you and TJ to Johnny and you know, Mark and Julie and all these people that I met in Clubhouse in December and January were really the impetus and the influencers for me to look at a different perspective because there's so many ways to be able to break into and and make a living and build wealth in the short-term rental space. It's not just about buying properties the way that I started or arbitrage. There's there's management, there's co-hosting. What I did is I started at co-hosting. Right. So I went and I pivoted. I got my first co-hosting property in January, at the end of January. And it was doing about one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year in revenue. And it was for a friend of mine. And then he sold that property to a celebrity and I took it over for him 
And then I took my friend and he bought a, a huge beach property and I'm managing that for him. And that's a $200,000 a year property. And then the celebrity that I took over and he's on the number one Netflix show in the world. And he introduced me to one of his co-stars and now I'm managing one of his properties. So what happened is, is I kind of fell into this niche of co-hosting slash management and the same success that I've had in building my own portfolio. And I think that's one message that I like to try to continue to send is that we all have the ability in this business and any other business to create what we actually want. So those of you that are looking to like dive in right now and get started ASAP, put together a business plan, decide the ideal customer that you want to target, figure out if you're going to be a volume player or if you're going to be, you know, a high-end profit center player like myself. Like I don't have a hundred properties like these other people, uh, you know, that are doing arbitrage and everything. I've got nine that I own right now, but I'll promise you, I'm probably making more profit off those nine owned properties than most people that have 50 or 60 arbitrage units are doing as well. I don't want to have to be glued to this thing 24 hours a day and doing 50 turnovers in a day. It's hard enough for me to handle nine and I do self-manage everything. So I think it's really important and is, you know, Ryan, you get you, you and I got to determine what type of golfers we wanted to be, right? I relied on my putting and short game. I wasn't a bomber. And you might have been the bomber or, or the iron player guy. And then we focus on our strengths, right? So I think we can do the same thing in how we create our business structure. But the one thing I see out of my 4,600 students is most people don't have a plan when they get started. Yeah, no, it's um, you, you're so right. And you come back to the financials and the numbers. And, and I, I did something very similar where I was investing, but where I was investing, it wasn't, you know, luxury houses. There was no way I was going to generate a hundred thousand out of the, the type of properties I was investing in. That was moving quite slowly for me. But so I went into the, uh, it's rent to rent over here, rental arbitrage in the States. And, um, and I then used that cash flow for the best part of probably 18 months before I touched it for my own personal self. And I just pumped that back into the business and got more units and more units. And um, and then the rental cash flow started to build. That I then started to, to to buy more investments with that rental cash flow. And as you, it's just the multiplier effect, right? So you right. know you, you just keep multiplying this money. And if you keep doing it properly, then every every one of them keeps turning out as a success. And you get more cash. Then that cash you buy more investments. And then you make more money off your investment properties because you obviously your mortgages is cheaper than your rents. So there's bigger margins in them. You're pumping that back in. And, and it kind of just scaled from there. And then, you know, as you um, as you alluded to, I think Clubhouse has probably opened all of our eyes to because we live in our we live in our bubble, right? And we've got like the service accommodation bubble in the UK. But then we go on Clubhouse and we were opened our, our eyes and ears to the STR world in the states and you know how they're doing it in Australia and co-hosting in Japan and you know, and you're like. Actually, do you know what? There's a total different model that actually complements my model. So a bit like what you've done, you thought, well, actually, I, I, I was on a great plan and, and that is a great plan. But what if I could just add a bit of management into my plan? What does that look like? And, you know, and you crunch the numbers, you look at it and then you start offering that service. And, and if you've got the brand and the you know the knowledge and the trust and everything else that goes with it then you know your your celebrities and your friends and everybody else they're going to be like of course bill there's my property you know make it work for me and and then you know you you could scale that as probably 
as big as you want right now, you know, because of the credibility that you've got. And and I think it's it's really important not to blindside yourself into one strategy and just kind of go with people's ideas, have an open mind, and then kind of test it. But at the same time, you mentioned something really important there about your avatar. And I see this so many times where people are like, I'm going to get a unit. And it's like, okay, but who, who – and they sort of say, well, how will it perform? And it's like, well, it depends who you want in it as to how it will perform. Because if you're if you're getting a, a unit that's, you know, costing you 500 pounds a month, but you want to try and attract $20,000 a week stays, that's not going to work, you know? So it's kind of make sure you understand who your avatar is. If you want to get business and contractors in, setting these properties up for stag and hen parties, that's not going to work, you know? So you've got to understand, you know, what your business model is. Well, and, and I think you bring up a really great point. And I, I talk about, in my educational component about really defining that before you make your purchase, before you sign your first arbitrage contract, whatever it is. I'm going to use where I live as an example. I know many of your followers may not be familiar with it, but it's Nashville, Tennessee. And in Nashville, we're known for country music, right? And what you guys may not know over the pond, we're the number one destination in the world for bachelorette parties. And most of our business is tourism here. But there's people that are trying to do what you said. They go by the, they're, they're renting the flat. They bought a two-bedroom townhome. They're doing the arbitrage in the apartment complexes in downtown Nashville. And they're trying to attract traveling nurses, you know, during the pandemic, um, you know, when no bachelorettes are coming or very few are coming. But yet their design and everything and their location isn't close next, isn't close to a hospital. It's like right downtown in the row of where all the bars and the honky-tonks are. So they're at a complete disadvantage. They're trying to sell to the wrong avatar with the wrong location, the wrong proximity, and the wrong surroundings, right, when they've tried to pivot away from bachelorettes into traveling nurses. It would make much more sense for them not to be in the bar district, to be up by where the three hospitals are all around, you know, to be close for those traveling nurses. And I think those are – and that's an educational – you know, you and I only know that shit because we, we have experience with it, Right. And that's where I think that for those of you that are listening, I strongly advise you to follow people like Ryan, to subscribe to his podcast, YouTube channel. You need to educate yourselves on these things that we're talking about today, because that's where you're going to make the mistakes. I'm sure Ryan made plenty when he first started. I made plenty. And, you know, that's that's the great thing about having a coach. You know, I would have never played professional golf. You probably would have never played professional golf. And we didn't have somebody coach us and help us along the way. And we all need a business mentor um, as well. And that and that that coach changes, right? You know, our, our coach when we're 12 is different to our college coach who's going to get us to the next level. And then you get to the pro ranks and then that coach is different again. You know, there's very few people that stick with the same coach throughout. But what they do is, and this is what I've started to do, over the last few months is you, you you create a team and you see this so much now, especially on tour. And it's it's the same in, in our line of work. You know, we, we now have, I've got a tax specialist. I've got a property accountant. I've got a planning consultant. I've got mentors on both my fitness and health and my business, my CEO sort of tasks. I've got marketing mentors. You know, it's a team that we're building around ourselves, you know, and, Tiger Woods is no different. Rory McIlroy is no different. You know, they've got the fitness guys. They've got the swing coaches. They've got their, their putting coaches. They've got and, – and, and there's a reason they do that, and that's because they want to leverage the experience that they've got 
reduce this, reduce the mistakes and get to the result they want much faster. And that's why they invest that. And all they got to do is show up and then they got to go, right, what do I need to do today? And they say, right, we're doing this today. Over the next week, I need your diet plan to be this. Or, you know, I need you to go and work on your on your driver and you got to go and hit, you know, X, Y, Z. And this is what we're working on. These are the angles we're looking for. Business is no different. But so many, what I see the mistake of with property is because a lot of people, especially in the UK, they kind of start property as a side gig, as a sort of, you know, an extra income and they'll see where it takes them around a job. And I don't think they treat it like a business from day one. And, and then they, they fall into these bad habits and they, they don't think they need the help and the support. But when they get that support, when they get that help, or the ones that choose to do it that way, they go so much quicker, you know, so much quicker. And um, I think apart from Bubba Watson, there's there's probably not many pros out there that have never had a coach. Um, you know, there, there's not. And I think that <clears throat> I think you're 100% correct that most people get into this business not by design but kind of like by default as a side gig like you said um and that could be in that first bucket that i talked about in buying property so where they buy something and they're like oh shit i need to figure out how to pay for this because you know it's sucking my bank account dry um and i think that one thing that becomes really important is that you, you at least have this mental business plan um i believe in creating plans for everything but you need to understand what your end game is and that's what i look at with Kids that are going, that are smarter than me, that get to go to Harvard and Yale, and they have these plans, right? When they like leave high school, if I'm going to go to Harvard and I'm going to study this, and then I'm going to change the world being a neurosurgeon or, you know, a rocket scientist or whatever. And it's the same thing with athletes. The job coming out of high school is to go to a great university and go play for a guy like Nick Saban at Alabama football that's turning out 28 NFL players to 30 players every year, right? So their plan is to go there. He knows how to turn up to win championships, but also turn them into NFL caliber players. Yeah. Well, there's an end game. There's an end result, right? And that's what I believe is one of the biggest things that people miss as entrepreneurs and in this business. If you're going to go rent your first unit, buy your first property, what's your end result? Because if you know what you want is the end game and you have the ability to keep score when you want to achieve it. What's it going to cost you financially? What's it going to cost you time-wise? What's the investment you need to make on both of those sides? Then you can reverse engineer that and break that down every day. So Ryan's obviously in a lot better shape than I am. And I'll, I'll promise you, Ryan has goals set for his physical fitness, body fat content, running, weightlifting, whatever that is. I don't today. Mm -hmm. I used to be in shape like Ryan, but I put on the COVID-50. Now my wife's a, my wife's a nutritionist. And a trainer, so she's going to get my ass back in the gym in the next room over, I promised you. But I'm not going to achieve goals if I don't set them and I know what I want. So if you can see right behind me here, that's my goal. That's called that's the Madison River on the west entrance to Yellowstone National Park, the most beautiful place in the world, in my opinion. And I've been everywhere. My goal is to have an eight to ten bedroom chalet that's going to cost me two to three million dollars so I can fly fish on that river. That's my retirement goal, right? So everything I'm doing in my STR world, portfolio, building, owning, reinvesting, doing retail flips. I'm in the middle of my second retail flip in 90 days right now in the hottest market in the country um, to where I can just do some minor interior renos, flip it, sell it for eighty dollars to $100,000 profit. 
but it's I'm only doing that and I only do it at a certain season to be able to flip into a summer property to raise my value in 1031 and once again take advantage of those tax advantages because that's all in my plan. I turn 48 next next week to where when I retire when I'm 60, I have a goal of having between 450 to $600,000 in cash flow just out of my own properties to where I can retire at that point and travel around to the properties that I want. And that will cash flow this house or cabin or chalet, whatever you want to call it, behind me in Montana. So the supplemental part of that is the management. I've got six properties right now. Those six properties are generating roughly around $700,000 in revenue. Just like I, Ryan said, I invest in the luxury properties. I only manage properties that do over $100,000, $150,000 a year because then it's worth my time. And that's one thing I want you guys to understand from my perspective, which might be completely different than Ryan's or guys like, you know, Sean at Airbnb Automated that's got 100 properties or these guys that are Sonder that are trying to grow these massive numbers of units and doors. I believe that it takes me the same amount of time using this thing to interact with a guest at $125 a night as it does at $1,500 to $2,000 a night. Yeah. So if you can figure out a way to get to move from a $100 a night property to a $300, to a $500, to a $700, to a $1,000 in scale, and believe me, I didn't get there in my first year, then the time and the effort, the lifestyle part of this business, you can focus more time on your family. So that's kind of why I migrated into the luxury space. Not that I just saw that I could make more money. What I looked at is the amount of effort that I had to put in in the timing because I self-manage. I don't have that team that Ryan's talking about. I do have the CPA on the back end. I do have an attorney. I have that type of stuff. But unlike other people that have VAs and multiple people working for them, I'm it. Manage nine properties, building one right now, doing two retail flips uh, in the last 60 days and managing six properties, literally 99% all here because of the technology and the automation and the processes that I have in place. Yeah, no, it's, um, as I said it is at the start, you know, we, we all spin it in so many different ways, but we can all learn so much from everybody. And, you know, the, the luxury model is definitely something that I've now got on my radar and I'm going to I'm gonna do overseas and start my momentum on that over the next <clears> few <throat> And that's come from speaking with people like yourself, people like, you know, Julie and, um, you know, Maria and people like that, you know, with this luxury model. And I think, you know, you can you can serve it very well. You can run the multiple model very well, you know. But as you said, there's, it depends how you systemize it, how you structure it. You know, personally, I don't get that involved in the operations anymore, but I did, you know. And, right. and that's teams and people and everything like that behind. You know, I've probably got 45 staff behind the scenes there or thereabouts. So, you know, it's... It is serving. Um, it's serving you is ultimately, I think, what we're trying to say here. And as long as you get that right, you can then spin this model in many different ways. But um, Bill, um, it's an absolute pleasure as always uh, to, to get your feedback. There's plenty of information being dropped there in terms of how you can get started, how you can scale, how you can, you know, take your journey and make sure it serves you as a person. Where can people get in touch with you? I always like to connect everybody should they want to reach out to you. Uh, B Faith, F A E T H on Twitter, Instagram, everywhere. Build short term rental wealth uh, is my educational component. I've got free Facebook groups. Uh, build short term rental wealth YouTube channel. Buildstrwealth.com is our website. Um, and as you can see this morning, I go about 24 hours a day. I'm on a mission to help everybody uh, in this business 
not fall into the trap of using what I do, which is property management companies. I want to teach you how to basically how to get into this business with no money and self-manage so you can build wealth with your properties. Like even what I do on the luxury space, you don't have to have $172,000 to break into it. You can simply start by co-hosting with zero risk and no money. So build short-term rental wealth is the brand. Happy to assist and answer any questions that, that any of you guys have. Superb. Thanks for your time again, Bill. I really do appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure we'll catch up soon on Clubhouse. Thank you, Ryan. Have a great day, everybody. You too. Take care, buddy.